dedicated to increasing your brand exposure. Monique Lewis Management enhances and increases visibility and exposure for socially responsible brands via press mentions, social media marketing, celebrity collaborations, partnerships, and strategic campaigns. Monique Lewis Management's publicity and marketing campaigns have raised over $10 million in investments, sponsorships, and grant funding for clients. For more information, contact Monique Lewis Management at globalprsolutions.net or call 646-470-4806 and increase your brand today. Welcome to this episode of the Outfront Podcast with host Vince Noble, the podcast that gives emerging leaders and career transitioning individuals the information and inspiration to thrive and become their best. For sponsorship and advertisement opportunities, please contact info at nobleresolutions.com. And now, your host, Vince Noble. I want to acknowledge each and every one of you stepping into your authentic power today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Outfront Podcast. I am your host, Vince Noble. Hey, I am super excited on today. We have the distinct pleasure of having Miss Yasmin Arrington. She is the founder of Scholarships, a nonprofit organization that is dedicated to funding higher education for students who have parents currently incarcerated. To date, Scholarships has given away over 300,000 in funding. As always, before we get started with these extraordinary conversations, I want to say as much as I love how intellectual stimulating they are, they are meant to do far more than peak our intellect. They are meant to drive us into meaningful action. So as you listen, our guests are not solely on this show to promote themselves, their services, or products, however, in large part, to provide significant insights and actionable steps to encourage you, thereby helping you to shift you from one level to the next. So I encourage you to listen and to think how you may be positively impacted in some way. It is my greatest hope that you find tremendous value in today's episode. We certainly have a lot to unpack in this episode, so let's go. Shouts out to Vince Noble. What up? That's the big homie. Help me stack when my pockets was flat. Now I got a grip on me. Information, motivation, inspiration, inspiration. Make sure that you avoid elimination, elimination. Renovation of your finances. I done had more than five chances. Vince got more than five answers. A celebration. Let's hire dancers. On this good game, you bet not bypass. Out front, out front. Yep, that's the podcast. Jasmine, welcome to the show today. Hi, Vince. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. It is certainly uh, a pleasure on today. So, Jasmine, uh, to tell us a little bit about yourself, your early childhood influences and, and growing up and sort of what has brought you to the work you so passionately do today? Absolutely. That That's a long answer, Vince. You <laughs> that? Um, so, who am I? Um, my name is Yasmin Arrington. Uh, Yasmin uh, is 
um, my mother chose that name for me she used to, she thought it was so beautiful and and it is um she used to watch a show i think it was um baywatch and there was an actress and her name was yasmine bleeth and so yasmine um is uh an arabic name uh that that is a reference to the uh lovely smelling jasmine flower and my middle and it also means um god's gift and my middle name is alexandra um which i believe derives from alexander uh, which means defender of humanity uh and so that you know what is in a name and I think that as I've gotten older and I've come to understand some of my purpose and divine assignments in life um, my name very much reflects that and I was born and raised in Washington DC proper so I was raised in the city in the northwest quadrant uh, ward four um i am an african-american woman i'm a millennial i'm uh 28 years old i grew dc at that time was affectionately known as chocolate city uh dc is very much gentrified now um gentrification has its pros and cons but that's another conversation um i am a (laughs) right i'm a product of dc public schools and i went on to elon university in north carolina um, from 2011 to 2015 and earned my bachelor's in strategic communications and history and then i went immediately from there on to howard university school of divinity and hbcu based in washington dc and i earned my uh, master of divinity degree from uh, the howard university school of divinity i am the founder and executive director as you mentioned vince of scholarships inc which is a dc-based nonprofit whose mission is to provide college scholarships mentoring and a support network to youth and young adults who have incarcerated parents inspiring them to complete their college education Um, my I guess in a nutshell how I ended up doing this work I really believe inherent I just believe it no one can (laughs) convince me otherwise that me doing this work is 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 divine is unique uniquely shaped for me and that it is divine um Mm -hmm. i my plan was that i was going to um go into either news media or entertainment media as an anchor or correspondent and uh that it didn't quite happen work out that way but i've fortunately in the work that i do i'm able to sit on the other side of the desk as today as we're doing today and be interviewed about my work and story but long story short how i came to this work is through my life experiences um my father you mentioned events who who were my early influences um i i had both 
positive and and not so positive influences. Um, my father, who I love dearly, um, has been in and out of jail and prison my entire life, uh, from basically from the age when I was two years old to this very day. And my mother, um, who I also love dearly, unfortunately passed away um, when I was 13 years old. That was my freshman year of high school. And, uh, but my, my maternal grandmother, her, my mother's mother was my primary caregiver along with my two brothers. She raised us and, uh, as a single parent, as a single grandparent, and she did an absolutely phenomenal job with the little that she had. And she took us to church every Sunday. And so I grew up going to Sunday school, to church school, to Bible study. I was in the activities as a liturgical dancer, singing in the children's choir, singing in the youth and young adult choir, um, being an announcement clerk in church, and also a junior usher. Um, the you know, my grandmother and the church I grew up in really laid a solid foundation for who I am today. And um, my work, I believe is not I believe I know I believe <laughs> is connected right. to my faith um, and, and my understanding or appreciation for the Imago Dei, the image of God in, in every human and respect of human dignity and um, scholarships, you know, I, I, that was my personal experience having an incarcerated parent. And so I know the, mm -hmm. the various challenges that young people with incarcerated parents face, you know, there's emotional challenges, psychological challenges, uh, financial challenges, and, and there's a very real stigma and taboo still to this day around the issue across cultures, um, across ethnic backgrounds um it's, it's just a taboo issue um and so and something we don't really talk about often it's it's just really an honor it's been it's been i think the cons constant factor in my life and a major highlight that keeps me motivated that keeps me going that keeps me waking you know staying up late at night and submitting grant applications waking up in the morning and taking zoom calls and you know traveling to see funders all of that so i think that's that's who i am <laughs> right <laughs> hey that's certainly wonderful and it it sounds as though uh, you know, a, a lot of what you do was truly birthed um, out of the calling um, to help break the cycle, if you will. Absolutely. Um, and, and you have used all of those experiences, good, bad, you know, right, wrong or ugly mm -hmm. to help shape you for the good and to help, um, you know, break a cycle. Oh, um, yes. That's, that's certainly wonderful. Absolutely. Yeah, we definitely with our scholars, the thing that I, I love is, you know, they, they really do break cycles of poverty and intergenerational incarceration uh, when they graduate from college. And I'll just say really quickly, Vince, when I was growing up, my grandma, my grandmother is the first in our immediate family to not only graduate from college, from undergrad, but also from graduate school. And uh, she is a lifelong educator. 
she started off, I believe, as an elementary school teacher, and then the rest of her career has been as a director at various um, early childhood education and care centers. And she always emphasized the importance of education. She and my mother. And mm-hmm. I knew that, you know, I come from humble beginnings and I knew, I, I just, they really instilled in me that education was going to be a key to to more doors to success. Not to say that other doors don't lead to success or more success, but I knew right. for me right. that I was going to pursue higher education. And, and the one thing that um, many have said, and, and I know it to be true, is that one of the things that no one can ever take away from you is your education. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so Yasmin, you know, one of the things, you know, I get, I get to ask, uh, particularly now, you know, since the pandemic, how are you and your family doing? Uh, and and more specifically, you know, how has it caused you to personally pivot in the work that you do and the work that you are committed to doing? Uh, and what has you found to be most challenging? Okay, so my family, you know, fortunately, uh, thank God, is doing well. Uh, for for the most part, um, we all are still working. We all have jobs. Our you know our our jobs. I I have two my two younger brothers. They are both in the um, in the military. Um, uh, middle middle child. Um, his name is Gary, but we call him Junior because he's a junior. Um, he is in the infantry and. Um, Michael, our youngest brother, is in special forces, um, and they're both—they both happen to be located at Fort Benning, uh, Fort Benning in Georgia, and they—they they are still there, and you know, looking at what the next chapter of their life is going to be. And our youngest brother got married, um, and the, his wife is pregnant, um, and my grandmother—you know—my grandmothers are doing well. I have two grandparents, my father's parents. And they're based in Wilson, North Carolina, that side of the, they actually got, they contracted COVID twice, but yeah, but fortunately they're doing well, they're healthy. Um, There've been a lot of deaths in North Carolina, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, but they're doing well. So I really, and I, I just recently got engaged. Um, So to congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just very happy. So we're all doing well in terms of pivoting the pandemic when it when it really kind of blew up in our faces in the U- United States in March of 2020 everything was uncertain it was a very scary time I, I just remember wow. how scared I mean I was afraid to leave my apartment at that time I, I was just terrified and like I had Lysol wipes everywhere I went. And I had like the Lysol spray and I was like wiping down the elevator buttons and and wearing gloves and wiping down all the groceries. Like it was just scary. Um, but, but fortunately, uh, I'm just so grateful because so many, so, so many lives have, have mm-hmm. been lost. Mm-hmm. So many have passed on, you know, passed on to another realm. And I'm just grateful to still be be here and to be able mm-hmm. to still do the work that I do. But um, for in terms of like 
programming for our scholars, we pivoted to 100% virtual programming. So for our scholars, for our alumni, uh, even our board meetings, uh, orientations and sessions with mentors, with our mentees, AKA the scholars, all of that has been virtual and even bonding and social activities. However, recently, this was October 7th, 2021, um, I got together with two scholars and three alum alums, and we met on the campus of Catholic University. Uh, we have a partner, Scholarships has a partnership with DCTV, and they're producing media content, audiovisual media content for us. The first was uh, an interview with me called Impact Moment, and then they're producing a PSA and a, sh and a short spotlight that we can use for marketing and recruiting scholars. So we met in person together, and of course we've been vaccinated. We were outdoors outside of their student center. We had our masks on, and that was very successful. So I think we feel comfortable enough to maybe do a couple of in-person uh you know small gatherings outdoors with scholars and right. like during the holiday season around thanksgiving and and the, their winter break when they're home from college um but yeah it, it's been challenging i think more so for our scholars and, and and their families as well when it when the pandemic first hit of course all students you know everything shut down even the universities and colleges everything went virtual their classes and so that meant that scholars were back home and not all of our scholars where they live is necessarily conducive to studying and, and right. researching and all because they've got their siblings i'm sure you know there's people in the house so i'm sure there's noise mm -hmm. and all and whatever distractions are at home uh, so that made it difficult for some of our students to kind of adjust. And then, especially with their mental health, uh, a lot of our scholars have, have, have suffered and experienced depression, uh, feelings of inadequacy, loneliness, and uh, also three of our, this, it's just been astounding. Uh, even our, our cohorts are s small. We have about 31 active scholars. So three two or three scholars lost a loved one in 2020 two of them were by gun violence and then this year alone three scholars have lost family members so you know it's we we are launching a mental health and wellness program which is overdue but i'm grateful that we're able to do it and we just got an eleven thousand dollar grant from a local giving circle called giving together to help launch that program so you know we'll be providing counseling services support groups and uh have a have a licensed trauma-informed therapist on call, you know, on staff, on call for scholars who need an unbiased third party uh, active listener to talk to. So um, it's definitely been challenging, um, even for myself at times, but I'm actually, I'll say this last thing, I'm an ambivert, I've found, and so I do very well in in crowds of people, and I get I get a lot of energy from talking with people in person. However, I very much value my quiet time and my private space, and so the 
actually the pandemic has allowed me to more so thrive in in doing the work of scholarships i mean the organization's capacity is growing at at just an amazing rate we've got new staff members uh, and contractors we have seven new board members and now we have committees on the board and so i've really been able to do a lot more uh working from home Well, that's wonderful. So, yeah, I, I really commend you for for the work that that um, you are doing. It sounds uh, um, very exciting, and uh, hey, I, I look forward to the opportunity to, uh, uh, to to connect with you here real soon. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, so Jasmine, in, in terms of scholarships from a programmatic perspective, how are you able to you know sustain? <laughs> That's a great question. Really, on on a wing and a prayer, I'm gonna tell you. <laughs> but but on a, on a more serious note, in terms of sustaining, now that sustainability for small nonprofits and mm-hmm. grassroots nonprofits is truly a struggle, and it is truly a journey. I don't. I mean, to be honest with you, Vince, if I were to, goodness forbid, if something were to happen to me, this organization would tank. And it's not because it's not because the work is not important or it's not because they're not people that, that really care about the work. But uh, I literally myself and my team, but it's it's mainly me. Like I have to fundraise for nearly from scratch every single year mm-hmm. um, because a lot of our funds are going towards the scholarships for the students, which they very much need and book awards, emergency funds. Um, so I, my vision is to get scholarships to a place where we have a multi-million dollar endowment and then of which, you know, those funds would be invested in some investment account somewhere. And then the interest, a percentage of the interest from that account would be able to fund scholarships and book awards in perpetuity. Now that that would secure at least sustainability of the scholarship. Um, But there are other things that we need to put in place such as a secession plan and and an emergency secession plan uh, and, and, and a little more infrastructure. And so those are definitely things that we're working towards, but it is, as I'm, it is definitely a journey. It doesn't happen overnight. I'm just, I really, what sustains me is, you know, I'm trying not to get too spiritual, but you know, mm-hmm. really, really the spirit that abides in me, my, my faith and and, and what what I stand on, you know, the solid rock is really what helps me to get through day to day because this work is not for the faint of heart. I mean, you you know, right, I, right. I struggle. I mean, I struggle full transparency to this. I've been doing this work for 11 years. I started mm-hmm. off. It was a passion project, unpaid, of course. And then um, as it started to get more serious or and as I, you know, kind of graduated from undergrad, I. I had an opportunity. We received a grant from the, uh, it's called the J.M. Kaplan Fund. It's a family foundation out of New York, and they gave us the largest grant we had gotten to date to, well, at that point, which was, mm, I think that was about 2015, 2016. That was, 50, they were 
giving, I think it was $150,000 and they divided it over three years. And so I started off as a part-time executive director while I was pursuing my master's. And then I became the full-time executive director in um, 2018, in July of 2018. But I, I have struggled financially. You know, it's not... Uh, you know, unless you're in a multi-million dollar nonprofit and you have the resources to have, you know, decent salaries, the struggle is real. Um, so right. That's my story. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so also you, you sort of mentioned um, a little bit about some of the mental health challenges and issues with a lot of the children. Um, but but on the on the broader scale, what what are the biggest concerns? I guess you would say in the type of issues or trends that that you see present uh, with the children with these children of of incarcerated parents. Wow, that's a great question. Uh, there there are several. One thing that I've noticed, and I've had this conversation, and I'm not sure what what this is about. Um, I don't know if it's a cultural thing or if it's just mothers. But one thing that I'm noticing is, so within we started the first year, we scholarships was able to get to award and disperse scholarship and book award funds was in 2012. You know, I, I kind of thought, conceived of the idea based on an aha moment that my grandmother had that there weren't, she noticed like we were going, we were researching scholarships online that I could apply for my junior year of high school, well, my senior year of high school so that I could afford a college education. And she mentioned to me one evening, she said, Yasmin, there's so many creative scholarships out here, but I don't see any in our region for youth with incarcerated parents. So that was the aha moment. And I, you know, kind of, I mean, I spoke with her about it, but I, I ran with that idea. And at the time I was in a program called Learn Serve International that trains and equips teenagers to be social entrepreneurs and social change agents. And I had to pitch the idea. Then I started to get funding for the idea. And then, you know, Washington Patul Dvorak, uh, human interest uh, columnist wrote a story about it. I mean, it literally, the simply an idea and an, an observation turned into an idea that turned into a social a social nonprofit that just exceeded my wildest dreams and expectations but in terms of some of the challenges that i see and i'll get back to the the mother piece uh one of which we we have difficulty with recruitment and I believe a lot of that is because there is still a very real stigma and taboo around talking about not only mass incarceration, but more specifically having an incarcerated family member or parent. And so right. in our schools, and I think this is probably true across the country, um, but definitely here in, in the DMV, um, there's no way for schools to account for youth who have incarcerated parents. Um, we had a few years ago through the DC City Council, there was a motion, you know, moved and, and it was voted in. Uh, uh, this is called, it's a form that parents would have to fill out 
in conjunction with the, the you know when they register their children for school and that form is called you know childhood adverse experiences and one of the boxes is that the child has an incarcerated parent however as with policy you know you know moving uh, uh voting in a policy is one thing but mm-hmm. you know enforcing it and having a system for for accountability is a totally different thing so we do have that form but who who is tracking it and and you know there there's just no way to identify them and of course we wouldn't want to identify them publicly within the school but there's right. no there's no system to do that so when I go or one of our scholars, alumni, any anybody that represents scholarships goes to a school physically in person or virtual virtually, we don't know who the student, we know that there are students in the schools that have incarcerated parents. I mean, just based on incarceration statistics alone in DC, the DMV and across the country, but most most people most young people including their parents aren't like jumping up and down to say hey yeah i have an incarcerated parent so recruitment has always been a challenge and we have very small cohort uh, small cohorts anywhere from 5 to 13 scholars per cohort um which is reasonable though we're able to manage it um mm-hmm. and another thing is one thing that i recognize is that depending on the school, depending on the support system or lack thereof that a student, a young person has at home and also the preparation and the education level that they mm-hmm. that they received in high school, sometimes the students are not prepared for collegiate level work. Right. And they're not prepared, some of them, for that level of freedom. Um, the girl, the young ladies, they do m- much better. Um, they they do very well with the with the new lifestyle of freedom and independence and managing their own schedule. And you know, they they do a lot better, and they graduate at higher rates in in in, in scholarships. Um, but that's also because there are more young women than young men. But the young men, they they tend to really struggle. And one of the things, as I was mentioning mothers, that is kind of concerning me is I'm noticing that particularly with some of the young men, their mothers are the ones that usually reach out to us and sort of advocate for their sons. And I I think that, of course, the advocacy part is good, I think, and important. But some some of the mothers have this expectation that they are going to be the ones to communicate with me and or staff in order to get the scholarships and the information for their sons. But it's like, no, we're working with young adults and it is now, you know, their life is their responsibility and we want to communicate directly with them. But then when we want to communicate with them, sometimes the young men will, they literally will fall into a black hole, you know, kind of go MIA and we never hear from them. And so when you don't hear from scholars, they don't answer, they don't answer their phone, they don't respond to emails. If they're not responsive, 
then we can't disperse the scholarships. We can't disperse the book awards. We can't mentor them, you know, and that's not to say all of them because we have some phenomenal young male scholars, but I'm very concerned because I'm seeing a pattern of like hovering mothers. So those are some of the, and then of course, you know, the mental health piece, which we talked about. So those are some of the, the, the issues and struggles and challenges that I noticed that are consistent patterns amongst our scholars. So, so Jasmine, do, do individuals typically contact you directly? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So in terms of how students find out about us or, or the community, uh, word of mouth is still a very powerful tool. Uh, pre-pandemic, I would go to a lot of in-person events and and speak on panels and sometimes people in the audience after the the event would come come straight up to me and introduce themselves and it might be a mother and say let me know oh you know my my daughter or my son uh, their father or their parent is incarcerated and uh mm-hmm. they're they're in they're in um high school and they might be out they're, they're eligible or they may be interested sometimes it happens that way a lot of young people and young adults are actually finding us just searching online uh, which is great that means that we're you know we're searchable we're findable findable i guess if that's a word online um which is awesome and sometimes actually uh incarcerated individuals find us and they write to us they write letters to us asking for more information and we have a resource list that we can send out uh of other scholarships uh, especially for we, we will send those to all students but especially those who are out of our jurisdiction right now um because scholarships scholarships is a local program at this time although my long-term vision is for it to be national so uh yeah most most people will contact us and 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 they'll apply directly however mm-hmm. scholarships does we do make a good faith effort to reach out to counselors teachers principals administrators at local high schools in dc maryland virginia introduce ourselves let them know about scholarships let them know about the application the deadline and the services that we offer and you know we we just pray that when we do that uh that that counselors and and teachers you know the administrators will do their due diligence and share that information with students and and even help them to to apply Mm-hmm. So, Jasmine, on this on this scholarship journey, on the work journey that that you have began and been have been doing for quite some time time now, um, how has resistance kind of showed up for you consistently? For the most part, when I tell people about scholarships or when they hear about scholarships, at least from from my point of view from what i've seen thus far uh usually people are very uh excited about it and they say oh wow i never thought about children or youth with incarcerated parents like i never it never occurred to me to think about this population um or they'll be like wow that's amazing that's great um i think thus far what i've seen in terms of resistance usually comes in around 
the stigma and taboo of of disclosing that information that someone has an incarcerated family member or parent right and so right, right. with that resistance because actually i'll give you a quick story there was a young and it, it just broke our hearts i'm gonna tell you there was this young lady she was underage and we have a consent form uh, like a, a release media release form and consent form for the students to apply and if they're under the age of 18 we require uh, a parent signature or either the parent or their legal guardian you know that kind of thing and so there was one young lady that wasn't quite 18 she was either 16 or 17 and she I mean she applied and everything but we noticed there wasn't a signature <laughs> there wasn't a parent signature on that consent form and we saw her age and so we contacted her and said you know so and so we we you know we're gonna need it we confirmed that she was under 18 you know we will need a signature from your parent and she said oh she said oh you know my mom is not really she doesn't really support me in this and so mm -hmm. her, her mother's point of view was like how dare you like this is nobody's business and so that is a mindset that like in addition to the the day-to-day -day services and programs that we provide scholars with the, we have you know a, an advocacy program where as a as a part of that advocacy we work to destigmatize that taboo and stigma and and mm -hmm. let folks know it's it's okay you know it's it's okay right. to own that part of your story it doesn't have to define you and when you share your story of course you know you use discernment with who and who you share with and when you share it but when you do share your story it you'd be surprised how many people you positively impact you 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 could even save a life just by sharing your story mm -hmm. because you don't know what other people are going through and and so that is what our scholars as when they are within scholarship they see me talking about my story they see alumni talking about their story and other scholars and they go oh wait a minute if mm -hmm. i can if they can do that i can do it too and it and it causes a ripple effect and so it's really we're really trying to do a major mind mindset shift and also right. even on the right. other end with in terms of resistance with like and it may not be all it's not all politicians but there are people out there who may not be in favor of supporting young people who have incarcerated parents you know they may be like well why are we supporting them like or or why i saw a long time ago somebody put a comment online and was like well why do they deserve a leg up and it's like what like this is right. this is barely a leg up mm -hmm. like we're not mm -hmm. even breaking even here considering everything that these young people they often come from low-income families single fam single parent families you know what i mean like there's there's this is not this is by far i mean it is it's a it's a it's a help it's an assistance to them but you know, mm. talking about oh why do they deserve a leg up it's like what, what are you right, talking about right right <laughs> so there's a lot of mindset shifts that that have to be made i think in order for our work to go to the next to really go to where it needs to go 
Right. So Jasmine, before we go, how can people connect with you some of the things you're doing online or either through social media? Absolutely. Um, please check us out. Please check out Scholarships um, on our website at Scholarships. That's with a C as in cookie, scholarshipsfund.org. Uh, and you can find us on several social media platforms. You can find Scholarships on LinkedIn, on Facebook.com slash Scholarships, on Instagram at Scholarships, excuse me, on um, Twitter at Scholarships, and Instagram at at Scholarships Fund DC. Wonderful, wonderful. Jasmine, so listen, thank you once again for, for joining us today. And uh, it has certainly been a pleasure. And um, I truly do salute you. Uh, and uh, please come back and check on us soon. Absolutely, Vince. Thank you so much for having me and for the opportunity. I appreciate you. Thank you. We certainly hope that you enjoyed today's episode. So make sure to join our Facebook group, Out Front with Vince Noble. And don't forget to comment, rate, share, and subscribe on the Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to download your podcast. Until next time, remember, you still get to write your own life story. <laughs>